0: Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 237. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Hawkeye, episode five, Ronin, a Kevin Feige production directed by Burton Birdie, written by Jenna Noel Frazier and created for television by Jonathan Igla. But before we start with our Hawkeye spoiler review, we wanna remind you about Fan Show Plus, the exclusive podcast for premium subscribers over on patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or you can find it on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus and that is the exclusive podcast where we talk about additional MCU topics like that post-credit scene from Spider-Man No Way Home. We're also going to talk about some characters that are being introduced in the MCU and what that means for their past, their present, their future. That's going to be on the next edition of Fan Show Plus and another episode will feature some coverage about the Spider-Man No Way Home box office, the staggering box office results for Spider-Man No Way Home. So you can find that at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. And then make sure you're following us at all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who's already taken the time to share their thoughts. And now on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman?
1: Man, that marathon we did yesterday. Whew! It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a whopper. It was, it was a, whopper. a lot of show.
0: Yes. A lot of show for a lot of movie, to be fair. I mean, it was a two That's and a true. half hour movie, although Endgame was longer, and we still somehow ended up with a shorter spoiler review, but I think there was just so much going on. Not that there wasn't a ton of stuff going on in Endgame, but anyway, yes, our Spider-Man No Way Home spoiler review In case you haven't heard or seen it in the feed, if you haven't seen it in the feed, then I'm wondering if you've subscribed to this podcast. And if you haven't, please go ahead and do that, and then you don't miss it when an episode comes out. But anyway, our Spider-Man No Way Home Spoiler Review is out now. It clocks in at just under four and a half hours, and as I was going back through the show and, and listening to it to get ready to post it, There was a couple times where we talked about how we didn't think the show was going to end up being as long and it wasn't really going to threaten our endgame spoiler review. And then, well, it kind of surpassed it. So that's just (laughs) the way that goes, at least as far as (laughs) runtime for the podcast. But yeah, that was a very long recording session. Hopefully you enjoyed the very long listening session or listening sessions, because unlike the recording part of it, you can listen to it in small doses at a time if you want to, to eventually get through those four and a half hours of Spider-Man No Way Home coverage, and I will, I guess, include a Spider-Man No Way Home spoiler warning for this episode, because there's stuff that's revealed in this that pertains to stuff that's revealed in Spider-Man No Way Home, and I don't want to exclude that, because I know a lot of you have seen both things, but I will try to provide fair warning before uh, that goes over. or actually, you know what, this is the fair warning, because who knows when that stuff might pop up, yeah. and we start talking about what's revealed uh, in this episode, so if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, you might want to wait on this Hawkeye episode five spoiler review, um, but as far as this episode of Hawkeye, I'm pretty confident, much more confident than I was yesterday, even though that didn't work out, uh, much more confident that this will not be a four and a half hour podcast. No. So uh because I know I, I will not be able to talk for that long. My voice will give out at some yeah, point. Same. So it's just uh it's not going to be possible for us to do that. But anyway, we'll see how long this show ends up being. But we have a really great episode once again of Hawkeye to talk about. This continues to be, Paul, week by week. Episode by episode, scene by scene, the most consistent of the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series as far as quality yeah. from, from a minute to minute perspective, pound for pound. Yeah, I, I just keep walking away from every scene being like, eh, no notes. This works.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. i I'm been blown away how engaging the show is. I think that's the biggest thing about it is that without having the spectacle and, and there is a little bit of spectacle in, in the series, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have the pizzazz of WandaVision, the mysteriousness of that, doesn't have the the crazy zaniness of Loki's you know multiverse thing of going on and that kind of underlying mystery. And there's mysteries in this series. You know, yeah, sure. But I think the one thing that this has an advantage of is it's utilizing, I think, almost more of the marvel universe it seems like like as we get every episode we're getting more like characterizations instead of just mm-hmm. like reveals of this person's the big bad of this and, and that's a part of this also as well but like we're getting more reveals that's kind of fleshing out i think everything in, in the marvel universe like we have you know, kate bishop and we're introducing that and the ideas of like what it means for an, you know, the avengers or, or a young person and then we have what it means to be an Avenger and like how you're gripping with the fact you, you're, there's a mortality to this and how things are happening. There's a, it's we're, they're attacking a the side of the Marvel universe that's not necessarily been a focused um, part of it really. And there's a lot, that humanistic element of I think again they're emotional uh, things. There's there's a lot of physical things that are going on. I think that, that are a byproducts of having and being a part of the Marvel universe and so uh, or being in that world or universe if you will. So I feel like Hawkeye, it it grounds things, but it's still giving us everything we need to have. And it's almost more so because we're learning more about things as we go on. And this episode is not is no exception. If not, it's it's even more so we're getting more of that later on or more emphasis of what's going on in the Marvel Universe, I feel, uh, with this episode, which has been fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I think the grounded nature of it is an important point that you bring up because the thought that kept running through my mind as I was watching this episode in particular, I mean, it's been there from previous episodes, but really in this episode comes to the forefront in that because it's not the mystery box of WandaVision and because there are some mysteries here, but that's not what drives Mm -hmm. the story in this one. And not that it was the that the mystery box was the be all end all of Wandavision. It wasn't. There was a lot of great stuff from episode to episode, regardless of what was or wasn't revealed. But it still had that mystique of of the mystery around it. What what exactly is this? What exactly is happening in the nature of it all? And to some extent, that was part of Loki in a different way than it was in Wandavision. But with Hawkeye, because it's so straightforward. These characters just get to sit down or stand across from each other and have very direct conversations that are very revealing about themselves and the person that they're speaking with and perhaps other characters that they're talking about to where you just get into the core of who these characters are and they have these fantastic arguments and conversations that are really juicy and really good to dive into where you're not even so much reading subtext, uh, subtext, you're just looking at what the characters are flat out saying uh, in the dialogue. It's so well written and so well performed that it's very apparent, it's immediately apparent what's happening in this series. Not that I don't like uncovering things and having surprise reveals, all that stuff is great, but the very straightforward approach to this series uh, is very refreshing at this moment, at this point in this year For the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially when it's as executed as well as it is on a regular basis in this series. So let's dive into this episode, which begins with a little bit of a prologue. What happened to Yelena? And this was something that Kevin Feige said we would get an answer to. What happened to Yelena during the blip? Was she blipped or wasn't she? Kevin Feige, I can't remember who the interview was with. He did say at some point during the press tour for Black Widow, that we would get an answer to it, and I figured it would happen in this series, and here it is. So we catch up with Elena in 2018. So this is a couple years after the events of Black Widow, where we first met her earlier this year. We see that she has gotten her, she's got herself a new vest to replace the one that she gifted to Natasha, and she is there with another former widow named Sonia to free a widow named Anna and they use the antidote to the chemical subjugation, but they find out that Anna had not actually been brainwashed. Instead, she's been killing for money, setting up Yelena's future career choice, and Yelena, upon hearing this news and talking some things out, needs to go to the restroom to wash her hands, wash her face, and she gets blipped, and then she comes back, and she figures out how long she's been gone. It is, of course, the famous five years later, and that's when Anna, or Anna, explains more about contract work. We'll talk about the contract work in a moment, Paul, but let's just start with the blip for Yelena. One of my favorite blips. I think my favorite might still be Monica Rambeau in episode 4 of WandaVision because of the chaos around the entire thing of everything that was going on for Monica Rambeau, although this one is almost as good or just as good but in a completely different way where we see a character experiencing this completely alone at first and the visual representation of it where the water is going through her hands instead of splashing onto her hands and just as soon as she clocks that boom she's turned to dust and then just as quickly as she has turned to dust she is back and the paint around the room is changing the way that was constructed visually I thought looked really really cool and also did a great job of selling the complete and utter confusion that Yelena and so many countless others would have experienced having been blipped.
1: So uh, for those who who maybe have kept track of wh- how I kind of handle the MCU as far as like press and things like that, I kind of stay away from just everything because I want to be kind of surprised, okay? So I want to say that for the record. And I, I wanted to watch this episode because I heard a lot of great things about episode five from just from hearsay on people on Twitter being like, oh, I heard the director said that episode five is this or whatever. And, I'm, and I just kind of like, okay, cool. I'm, I got to see episode five before people go spoil it on the internet, which I'm very glad I did. And I pop it in, you know, pop it in or pop it on, I should say. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh sweet, I forgot. You know, Black Widow. You know, Elena's on this. I love, I love her in Black Widow. And I, I knew she was coming back from the previous episodes. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. I go cool, we're going backwards. You know, it's her. You know, back in that time frame. And I totally wasn't thinking as we're as we're I'm watching this. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. And then she gets blipped and went, what the hell? I had no idea that was coming. I was, I was not thinking about that. I thought there was, there was going to be some kind of explanation of something, but not the blip. The blip happens. I went, Whoa, it it, it really took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I thought that was really interesting because also the fact that she, you know, goes, tries to unbrainwash this widow character. Right. And she has to deal with the fact that like, Oh, like this wasn't, this was wrong. So, she made a mistake somewhere or something to ha- like, so you have to, she starts like sucking, uh, guessing herself. Right. So she goes in the bathroom to basically get her head on straight. Cause mm-hmm. like, okay, this is not going the way I thought it was. And kind of, again, kind of re reassess what's going on. And then she gets blipped. And so think about that. That's so all of that with the blip at five years later, walking out of it, her head's really spinning. So it's, it's really interesting. The fact that she's kind of going back to back, like, okay, like what I, my whole, my whole goal that me and Natasha, you know, I, I said, I would set out to do this is now starting to kind of come, come across a different way. It's not exactly what I thought it was going to be maybe for, for this one person. And and for, we don't know what that means for other widows too. This could have, this could have been another, in, in addition to many others that weren't brainwashed. And she's maybe starting to kind of doubt herself. That's why I kind of took it was, right. it wasn't going to plan exactly what she thought, not just this one, but just in general. And then when you add on, The idea what's going on with a five-year blip which I was not expecting I was blown away and I I just loved the transition and how she was just like what's going on I it was a great surprise and it just adds to to everyone I want them to know stay away from press as much as possible because I had no idea that was coming and I if I would have known it it would have been like fine but it was way more exciting and impactful for me uh, from emotionally as I had no idea it was coming. So I love this reveal completely.
0: I was still surprised as well, because Kevin Feige didn't say that she got blipped and we were going to see it. He just said we would get Ah, an answer to whether or not she was. I really didn't know one way or another. And even when she was going to the restroom, I didn't think that we were going to see her getting blipped there. I didn't think that until we saw the water going through her hands. And I was like, oh, this is it. And then boom, it happened. And it was still a surprise to because it happened so fast that it was still very, very surprising to me, and I I, I just, I loved it, and I, I agree with you about the confusion even ahead of the blip that she spent, this is 2018, so two years after Black Widow, she spent these past couple of years going around the world saving these other widows and giving them the antidote, and now she comes across someone who's still going around killing people but not because she's being forced to do it, not because Drakov is still manipulating her or she's still uh, part of that and is still being a victim of the chemical subjugation, that she's just doing this for money. Anna is. And this is how she's paying for her big house and everything else, that this is just what she wants to do. And that is something that Yelena has to think about. Is this something she wants to do? And what what exactly would that mean? Because she could Morally, excuse a lot of her actions when she was part of the Red Room because she was being chemically manipulated. It wasn't really her fault. It wasn't, she wasn't responsible for it. But as a means of supporting herself, what would that turn into? What would that look like if she were to consider this idea of killing for money? Can she justify that by only killing bad people or whatever the case may be? But it's certainly something that challenges Yelena's perspective and everything that she has kind of understood about her mission and her own moral compass over these past couple of years. And she doesn't even really have time to contemplate it because she's blipped and then she comes back and they sit down and they have another conversation about contract killing and all of that stuff. But then Yelena's is also saying that she needs to find Natasha. And there's that punch right to the gut and, uh, you know, which I saw this episode before I saw Spider-Man No Way Home, so you could see how sensitive my emotional gut was with all the punches that were happening in this episode and then, like, what, the 47 we got in Spider-Man No Way Home? Very emotional week mm-hmm. watching MCU content this week, but Yelena wondering where Natasha is, and and, of course, Anna wouldn't even immediately have an answer because this is right after she came back from the blip. Like, as they're sitting down having this conversation, I imagine the final battle is still happening, and the world doesn't even know who made it from the Avengers, who survived that battle, or if they're all going to survive that battle against Thanos, or that a battle is still even happening at all. This is all stuff that people are finding out after the fact. So it's just crazy to think about the way all of these things coming together and who knows what and when. But the last thing I want to say about this prologue is what this would mean for the relationship between Yelena and Don't Call Her Val, that it can't really be that old, because Don't Call Her Val is Yelena's contact in this world. We see that she's the one handing assignments or job opportunities, job postings to Yelena to go out and do these killings, these hits with the one with Clint Barton that we see in the post credit scene from Black Widow. It seemed to me like that relationship had a little more history to it, but it can't have that much. It only has from the time Yelena comes back at the very which is the very end of Avengers Endgame to whenever this Hawkeye series is taking place or whenever that post-credit scene took place somewhere close to the events of Hawkeye. And if Hawkeye is happening around the time of Spider-Man No Way Home because Spider-Man No Way Home takes us up until Christmas, which is when Hawkeye is happening. And so we know that's about a, a year and a few months after the events of Avengers Endgame, so it's not that old of a a relationship between Don't Call Her Val and Yelena, and so I'm really interested to see when we circle back to an interaction between those characters, which maybe happens in the finale or a mid or post-credit scene of the finale, or maybe that's something that happens later on between Yelena and Don't Call Her Val, but that was also something that's very intriguing to me and and just more of a mystery to kind of unravel as as things go on, even though I just said this is not much of a mystery box show. But that I'm certainly looking forward to uh, discovering more about. In the present day of our story, Kate returns home and tells her mother Eleanor that Clint protected her and told her to stay away, as we saw at the very end of episode four. There's a nice hug between the two of them. And Eleanor's got, she's got something going on, very suspicious, as is confirmed at the end of this episode, not that we didn't already know it, <laughs> but she tells Kate that Kate is the only thing that matters to her, and I don't believe that part of it, because there's other things that clearly matter to Eleanor and other plans that she's certainly executing, but I do believe that she genuinely loves and cares about her daughter. I don't think it's it's a character who is so heartless that she doesn't love her own child, And even when Eleanor is pouncing on this opportunity, as Kate is talking about not being a superhero, that Clint doesn't think she's a superhero, she doesn't really think that she's a superhero either, and Eleanor pounces on that opportunity to try and talk Kate out of completely this notion of being a superhero, even that's not evil. There have been the other times where Eleanor is trying to get people to specifically stop looking at the case that she is ultimately at the center of, if they were to find out, There's those moments, but that's not what I felt this moment was about. I really thought that this was genuinely a mom who does, despite all the other crazy, evil, criminal things that Eleanor Bishop must be doing, that this is a woman who does genuinely care about her daughter and is thinking more of it from that perspective, because I think any mom would not necessarily love the idea of their kid being a superhero, at least not certainly not love every aspect of it, because you know it involves a tremendous amount of danger that your child would be put in at a regular basis. So I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting balance that they strike here with this character of Eleanor Bishop and, and Vera Farmiga, as the actress playing this role, does such a great job of towing that line of being the one who is in charge of her own kind of criminal empire, or maybe not in charge, working with the big guy, but at the same time, genuinely being a mom who cares about her daughter and, and how warped and twisted that can be when, when her daughter eventually finds out
1: yeah this was really cool kind of a a, a scene because I like seeing uh I really like seeing Kate kind of walk in defeated with her costume on kind mm. of you know, or, or, excuse me her archery suit as her mom points out like, why are you wearing your archery suit with really funny. It's important that she uh, calls it that like because I yeah, know that's true.
0: I know that's the legit origin of it. It wasn't made as a superhero suit in Eleanor's mind, but you know it was always a superhero suit. In Kate's mind, but Eleanor yeah. keeps it specific to what it was intended for as far as its original right. intended function.
1: I, th- I thought it was funny when she said it. You definitely can see Eleanor is not, maybe she isn't manipulating her daughter, but there there seems to be this, this uh, a very choice of words that, she, that the performance of Eleanor, which has been great, uh, I love her, that there as every episode goes on she becomes more and more like she is almost more like jack what we all thought jack was going to be like mm-hmm. and almost almost like they slowly switched ro- like some roles or as what we thought the other person was going to be and then it which we'll get a jack of at, at some point today but uh but yeah i thought eleanor was very interesting her choice Poor of jack. work and I, uh, yeah
0: poor fine. sweet jack duquesne we'll get to it i,
1: I love him so much um you protect him at all costs please yes um uh, but but i like this the scene because it felt very i like the idea because it was a superhero and and the fact that she i, I call Kate a superhero uh and she's talking to her mom and it felt very like man this is like almost like a This is what it would be like if a superhero was talking to her mom and like, like, well, mom's like, well, you have to stop doing that superhero business now. It it, it, it felt very like kind of natural. Like, man, this is like, again, I I would give it a credit to the performances. I I think the performances in this series have been phenomenal. Um, Moments like that shouldn't come across as real and as like, uh, because normally they'd be hokey, right? They'd be like, it just, or it just wouldn't seem as like authentic. And that's the one thing well, of the It plays
0: as small as a conversation a mom would have about their kid who's struggling at school or something like it yes, doesn't exactly. It's so, as you put it, it's so real that. The the context of what they're talking about or just the actual the words they're using, talking about being superheroes and all of that stuff, that's wild and outlandish, but it doesn't feel that way because the conversation is played just so normal. And that's what makes it work.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that to me, and I just, it felt very authentic and it works. And I really liked it because you also know that Kate's struggling and, but Eleanor is trying to convince her, but Mm -hmm. why, not just for her safety, but for something else. And that's, what's really interesting too. So you get to see all those things at play with that kind of very authentic conversation. So I I really thought this was a very I'm not sure everyone will love it as much as we do, but I feel it's it's, it's already an underrated scene. And, th- and scene, There's tons of these scenes in Hawkeye season, this Hawkeye season.
0: Right, and this episode is very big on that. One-on-one conversations between right. characters. It pretty much shifts from one to the next, and that's really the, the main focus of this episode is just getting characters to sit across from each other and just hash things out. And there's another great moment in this conversation toward the end where Kate tells Eleanor about Jack's involvement and being the CEO of Sloan limited and the connections with the tracksuit mafia and all of that stuff. And Eleanor gives no reaction. This is so great by Vera Farmiga. If you go back and watch the no cell that she gives to this information and it is, in some ways it's a tell though. I mean, you would think that she would play it up in that moment, to respond in a way that you might ordinarily expect a person to respond, because if this is your fiancé and you love him, and I'm telling you that he is part of some massive criminal empire, that should register a reaction, but it's just more of a a nod and kind of the understanding for Eleanor. You see her mind at work. You see the, the calculus going on in her head of just thinking, okay, Jack's been found out, so that means that Jack is is a cover, he's a patsy, that's been discovered, so now I have to go ahead and use that. There's no shock, there's no denial, there's no, oh, that can't be, it, it, it can't be Jack, or, or whatever. She just realizes this is now, Jack is now a pawn that she will have to go ahead and sacrifice, and she's just very okay about it. Uh, she makes that decision in her mind in, in a split second, and then we'll see exactly how she carries that out, but that whole scene, I thought, was great. Then we cut to Maya and Kazi, with Kazi tending to Maya's wounds after the fight that we saw at the end of last week. And he's at least able to get Maya to open up just enough to communicate and be honest that, yes, getting shot with an arrow really, really hurts. I thought that part was funny, which is like, it hurts. I'm opening up. That was great. <laughs> and uh, they talk about Yelena and make it clear that Neither of them know who she was, but also that, as Maya points out, Clint and Kate, they didn't know who this other person was, and they're realizing that this is bigger than they thought, and Kazi says, it's time to stop. Maya isn't going to, and he realizes that she's not going to stop, so they make the deal that they'll capture and kill Ronan, and then after that, they move on so they can avoid uh, any blowback from the big guy. So, not much to it, but I still liked that interaction between uh, between Kazi and Maya.
1: yeah, yeah, same here. It was good to see more interaction with Maya. It was good kind of preparing for us for what is to come because that's ultimately, as an episode's called Ronin, and they're talking about this you know very early on, you know that that's this it's going be there's gonna be a confrontation at the end of this episode specifically. So that was a cool setup from, from with with the name of the episode and this scene specifically.
0: Totally. And it's really doing a great job of reestablishing, reaffirming the connection between these two characters, how close the two of them are, because there is an understanding. Right. And Mm -hmm. Maya doesn't let her guard down much, but she does let it down a little bit for Kazi compared to not at all for anyone else. So to show her doing that in this scene sets up the suspicion and everything that will happen later and then what we presume will happen in the very next episode that will, in all likelihood, be the launch point for the Echo Disney Plus series. But more on that as we go on talking about this episode. So Kate goes back to her burned down place, and Yelena is there. And we get the best high since Joker's high in the nurse outfit in The Dark Knight, after she catches the hot sauce that Kate flings. Um, And Yelena as polite as she is, has made macaroni and offers some to Kate, just saying that I was starving and you took forever, so I wanted to make some food. Um, And Yelena just wants to talk. Kate has one fork because she's one person. And we get a a mention of Red Guardian, kinda, when Yelena says, eat, please. My daddy says, it's good for you. And then when Florence Pugh goes into this and saying, you're probably thinking, what is this crazy person doing here? that whole thing of what Kate is is running through her mind and seeing Yelena in her apartment it is a reminder not that we needed one that Florence Pugh is pure magic on screen she is charisma incarnate her whole presence throughout this episode but especially in this introduction to Kate was something that was just insanely entertaining, and I absolutely loved it, just as much as Elena loves hot sauce, as we learned in this, uh, in this conversation. And she's talking about how it's her first time in New York, and she wants to see the new and improved Statue of Liberty syncing things up with that cap shield in Spider-Man No Way Home. And uh, although the cap shield is, is gone, so I don't know how new or improved the Statue of Liberty really is. We'll see. But uh, I'm guessing this is about the same time. It seems to be. Uh, as Spider-Man No Way Home, or maybe this is even after Spider-Man No Way Home and the shield already fell and got put back up. I don't really know. Uh, but anyway, uh, Elena has done her homework and she clearly knows Kate Bishop. That's why she's saying the first and last name as Kate Bishop has clocked. Uh, and she does. Elena has issued a few points to Kate for saving the dog, Pizza Dog. And Elena is there to kill Clint Barton, wondering why Kate risks her life for him and how everyone has forgiven Clint Barton for his past and when Kate tries to say that Clint saved the world, she says, no, my sister saved the world. Elena says Clint is protecting his reputation, not Kate. And this really launches into a, a more heated debate that uh, I can't wait to break down and, and get into. But I don't want to skip past the initial charismatic, hilarious, insanely entertaining introduc- reintroduction to Elena in this scene, Paul. Um, mm mm-hmm. Right away, you see why she was such a a breakout star and and breakout performance in Black Widow earlier this year. Not that Florence Pugh hadn't already broken out as a star. She totally had. But uh, in the MCU version of that, her breakout performance in Black Widow, that momentum carries on straight through here without missing a beat.
1: It's crazy because... I, she was definitely my favorite part of, of Black Widow. And if you listen to Black Widow, Black Widow review, I raved about her like everybody else did. But I really liked her a lot, and I, I was really impressed how she was just fantastic in that. And I again, I love the the decision to have this very confused, distraught uh, Elena, and then all of a sudden next time we see her, she's like, oh hey, yeah. and she's just like super like, hi, again, <laughs> like, hi. yeah, all of that. It, it, again, I love the, the choice for that because mm. you're giving us an idea that she is it's one that time has happened. Right. Right. But two, also that there, you know, what she's doing is like, OK, you know, something's up while she's doing this. It doesn't seem right. But it also seems like that is kind of her personality. She, we yeah. see a little bit. This with is her. who she is. Yeah, but and I like that. And I'm not sure if it's a Florence Pugh thing. It definitely feels like it's it's her because it feels like a lot of the scenes you you could easily play her like you, like she does in the very beginning of the episode, but she doesn't. She plays it off and and there's certain scenes with, with with uh, you know, with Natasha that are hilarious. And I feel like some of the dialogue they even gave her that should have came across like very bland, it's not mm-hmm. because it's she delivers it and able to give it a pizzazz. I just think she's a phenomenal talent, phenomenal talent. And I think this, this episode only illustrated the magnetic personality she has is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 again, I don't think I've seen an actor have that much, like just charisma coming out off of them in a long, long time. As far as like, I, at least I can tell that's a, you know, up and coming actor, actress, whatever. Um, it, it's been a while. Um, uh, maybe like Andrew Garfield when he was cast as Spider Man, I felt like he he had a he had a great presence, you know. And I and he, obviously he's he's a phenomenal talent. Um, that's you know many many years ago, and I started going researching him for uh, when he got, got cast as Spider Man. But but you know, Florence Pugh, I don't have time to invest, you know, go through all her, uh, you know, IMDb. But all that said. I've just been blown away because she immediately commands and it just, you're gravitated to the screen anytime she's on. And she just works the scene. And I just was smiling ear to ear. And again, I don't really smile when I watch stuff. Like and when I laugh, I do, you know, or whatever, obviously. But I mean, I'm never like just grinning ear to ear the whole time, right? It's just never going to happen. I'm going to be very focused, especially with the MCU stuff, because I'm analyzing whatever for the show and for myself. With with her, anytime she's on, I, I just I smile. When that whole scene when she's with Kate, I'm smiling the entire time, even when like things get dark and serious. Mm-hmm. And I just it's a credit to the to the actor. And I just she's just I, I cannot wait to see what they do with her in the MCU, because I feel like every time they do something with her, she just blows the screen up more and more. And her profile gets bigger and bigger to a point where they're going to basically have to give her a big 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 role in the mcu i already thought they were going to but it feels like she's gonna be even it almost feels like she's gonna be bigger than than um oh my gosh uh oh my i can't i can't forget i can't believe i can't forget her name black widow, black widow
0: scarlett johansson. scarlett johansson.
1: yeah i couldn't remember scarlett johansson's name <laughs> getting old 40 comes comes soon for me people it comes soon for me and then a couple of weeks um but no but it, it almost feels like she's gonna be bigger than, than scarlett johansson like it, as black widow like I, I feel like she's an eclipser it, it just it just feels that way
0: i yeah that i, I don't know time will tell on on that sure. i mean there would be no way to really measure it anyway but um, certainly what we what we see is a faster start right because for black widow sure. first appearance in iron man 2 not everybody totally sold on that not really scarlet johansson's fault more of the character's position in that story and the handling of the character in that story which even she's been somewhat critical of. But um, I think with, uh, with Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, as, as Natasha Romanoff, the real breakout performance was in The Avengers. And that was when people were really buying into the idea of her as this character. Whereas with Florence Pugh, granted having the advantage of much better material to work with in her first outing, but right away people were drawn to her as this character of Yelena And having the ability, just because of the nature of the MCU at this point in time, like when Scarlett Johansson is playing Natasha Romanoff, even in the Avengers, well, it's going to be another couple years before she shows up in another thing in Captain America, the Winter Soldier in 2014. So by the time she gets to her third appearance, it's been four years since the first appearance in real time from Iron Man 2 to Captain America, the uh, the Winter Soldier, whereas with Florence Pugh, star-making performance, even though she was already a star, but star-making performance in Black Widow and an immediate opportunity in a Disney Plus series just a handful of months later to build on that momentum and continue to carry that forward and, and blow it up and have it just be bigger and bigger and bigger as this character. And so regardless of how it measures up versus Natasha Romanoff or whatever, that I'm not even as interested in just as the overall upward trajectory of this character that is fueled so much by the performance of Florence Pugh, and that idea of just her personality overriding her circumstances, I think is a testament to her character. That we saw this in in the Black Widow film, that even as really heavy, dark, emotional things are happening, and there were times where she did, and in one specific time that was played so well in the movie, where she did reach her breaking point, and she had to storm out of the room and then have that emotional conversation with her father, but she always recovers from it. No matter how bad things get, no matter how sad, traumatic things get, she is always able to recover, and she always tries to find some spirit of fun in whatever she does, which can be a little twisted if we find out that now for the past couple years or however long that she's been contract killing, but whatever the circumstances may be, Elena knows how to have as much fun as she can in those circumstances. But also, I think in this moment, I don't think it's all tactics. I don't think she's just trying to disarm Kate. I think Elena is enjoying this conversation. Elena doesn't dislike Kate, doesn't hate her, She, as she points out, didn't try to kill you on the roof, like, I just got you out of the way because you were an obstacle, but I made sure that you weren't going to die in the process of me getting you out of the way, even at the end of this conversation, and we'll talk about the heavier parts of it in just a moment, but ends it by thanking her for the girls' night, and I think that's genuine gratitude, because Elena hasn't been able to have these conversations as much, right? Like, Natasha's not around anymore and hasn't been since uh, Elena came back from the blip, and probably didn't get a, a, a lot of chances to talk to Natasha in between the events of Black Widow and when Yelena blipped in 2018. That these are interact the types of interactions that Yelena probably doesn't get to have that often, but she really treasures it when she does. And that's why I think she was into the idea of making food and trying to have a conversation with Kate and, and wanting to enjoy that conversation, even though there are points that Yelena really needs to get across. And this is where. Things get heavier in the conversation when Elena is talking about how it's her sister who saved the world, and why is uh, and Clint is just protecting his own reputation, not Kate. And when Kate is trying to say, "But he's an Avenger," Elena asks a very important question when she says, "What does that word even mean? That it holds so much power? You call him a hero, no matter what he does." And Kate starts talking about collateral damage, not really referring to Natasha, but that's how Elena initially takes it, and. Elena is initially offended by that. And then Elena admits that she was hired to kill Clint. So it's not like she's just out for her own personal revenge. This is a job for Elena. And then Kate asks Elena to consider what kind of person would hire her to kill Clint Barton. And Kate says, He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but he is good. And Elena says, However, he convinced you about who he is or how many people think or call him a hero, truth is, it doesn't matter. We are defined by what we do. Not by nice words. Like it or not, there is no escaping this. And Elena asks where Clint is, and Kate says she doesn't know. Then the thank you for the girls' night, and a warning from Elena to Kate not to get in Elena's way again. And this was such a rich, interesting, complex debate between these two characters. And what makes it so good is everybody has an opportunity to make a valid point. We have seen Clint be a good and decent person, and that is what Kate has identified. And that's what she is speaking to in this conversation. So we can say from that perspective, Kate is right. But if we break it down and think about all the other stuff that Clint has done, much of which we haven't actually seen, but we know that it happened, Yelena isn't wrong. And even in this series, Clint hasn't fully owned or accounted for his actions as Ronan. He just hasn't. He's starting to when he's admitting some of these things and explaining himself and and going through it. So he's in the process of doing it, but he hasn't really completed that reconciliation and fully taking that accountability. And I I think the way Kate's viewing it as he's already, whatever mistakes he's made, he's already made up for them because of all the good things that he's done. But that still doesn't mean that Clint shouldn't have to admit what he's done and admit when he has done something wrong, as he has as Ronan. And even Yelena calling out the word Avenger and asking what that word even means, I don't think that's a reference to the current state of things in the MCU and do the Avengers exist or don't they or whatever that is that we're trying to get a better handle on in the MCU. I I still think they exist. It's just a matter of who's on the roster and what exactly is that going to mean. But that's not the meaning that Yelena is questioning when she's talking about the idea of people being called a hero and that it doesn't matter what they do once you start calling them a hero or calling them an Avenger, that that word Avenger, it can't be a shield that protects the heroes or anyone from their own misdeeds. It can't protect them from accountability, from being responsible for their actions. I mean, as a quick aside, let's just remember and and let that sink in when so many of y'all think that insist that Captain America never did anything wrong in Civil War. But I digress and we quickly move on. Being an Avenger, being a hero does not remove accountability from the equation, and that is Yelena's point. Now, does that mean that Clint is responsible for Natasha's death? No, it does not, but Clint is still still responsible for a lot of bad things that he has to account for. Doesn't matter all the good that he's done, that he saved the world or had that team name Avenger attached to him
1: yeah this is something that I really liked this I really liked what we got from the the darker aspects and seeing Kate. and again, I go back to my previous episode, right where um for our show where I talked about how Kate's naive tendencies are you know it's a little more focused in this in the comic book, she's not as that naive character. She's a lot more formed and very confident and very capable and in this Kate is capable, but she's a lot more naive and and trusting. And this and we're getting she's getting the, the firsthand idea that your heroes aren't exactly who they are you, or who you think they are. And, you know, and your heroes being even your parents or, or she's going to find out, unfortunately, this year. And now we're getting the fact that, you know, her, her hero, even though she already knew he was imperfect and he said, like, oh, well, he's not perfect. You know, Yolanda really gives you a lot of insight of what truly, like you said, being Avenger is. What does that mean? What you know, all of that. I feel like she's just getting learning so much about life and what it means to be an adult and having people, and again, trusting and that naivete that she had is is slowly going away, and I think through people like. Clint and through Yolana and her mother and what, we're, what she's going to get in, in the season. So a lot of interesting things in this, uh, in this episode, but I think this conversation really shows Kate just how different this world really is. Mm-hmm. And someone like y- Yolana is, is kind of treading the line of right and wrong. And that she kind of has a lot of great points, even though her mom, she could see her mom, you know, through her mom's tendencies and things like that and other people's tendencies and even Clint's. Yolanda, uh, Yelena, or Yelena.
0: Yeah, Yelena. You know, Yelena, yeah. I know Yolana. people are screaming um, at you in the car right now. Usually they uh, scream at me.
1: I know, I know. People always scream at me. It's fun. Uh, Yelena, the thing with Yelena, though, is that it's giving her a perspective of just again. I and I love it when a hero is presented something that's not completely right or wrong. Mm. It's just, or it's just kind of in this weird, nasty gray area where you can justify yourself, and people try to justify themselves always. And I feel that with Elena, she's telling her like, listen, what you're go- you know, what Clint is is it kind of like me. But it's not this, you know, good old wholesome kind of thing. Right. And you got you have to kind of make that decision of what is right and what is wrong. And I'm, that's what I'm reading into it. She's not saying that verbatim. No, you're right. What- and
0: and Elena's not a hypocrite because remember, because yeah. you could point to this and you could say, well, isn't Elena killing for money? That seems to be her job at the moment. So that's wrong. Who is she to judge Clint Barton or anyone else? It's a fair question. But remember, Elena's not saying that she's great. Elena is not saying she should be an Avenger or she should be viewed as a hero. In fact, go back to what she talked about with Natasha in Black Widow, where she said, I'm not on the cover of magazines. I'm not the one that little girls are supposed to look up to and see as their hero. That Elena sees herself as a killer. That's who Clint Barton is. He's a killer. We're not good people. Regardless of The labels that people want to place on us, these are the things we're doing, and that's what matters. And so that's why I'm not a good person, but I'm not interested in being viewed as a good person, and Clint Barton is not a good person and doesn't deserve to be seen or hailed as a great person just because he's got this title of Avenger.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I feel that this was a good indication of Kate of how... You have to, tr- you know, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live by your morals or do you want to live by doing what you think is all, you know, as far as like what, what everyone else around you thinks is right and wrong or what do you th- personally think is right or wrong and and what you're willing to, basically what you're living, what you're um, willing to live with essentially mm-hmm. is, is what she, I, I feel that like she's trying to tell Kate. Besides, you know, trying to you know get Hawkeye obviously, right? But I feel that like that's what she's trying to tell her is like you need, you need to find out what you are okay to live, you know, live by doing because if you're in this world, you're going to have to you know come to terms. Like look, again, look what's happened to Hawkeye. I mean, people are coming for him. Like he's, you know, and again, her hero, and all these people are coming down on him at once. And so she's starting to see that even again, what's the famous line? You know, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of even, you know, again, with someone like Clint, same thing. So, really interesting, uh, brilliant scene and conversation. And it was beautifully set up, and, and how it got serious was very interesting, too. And again, mass pro performance by, uh, Florence Pugh and that when, when yeah. things got serious, she did. And I love my first really quick. I love the part when, you know, it's, we already talked about it a little bit, but when she said, you know, you keep saying my name is it because you, know, you know, want to know and remind me that I'm, you know, you know who I am. She's like, yeah. Like, it, it's not like it, she plays it off. So like, pa- like you know, passively, but also right. like it's a little bit hints of scary in there.
0: Exactly. You know? but then, and then it's going so through perfect. it, like, here's how well yeah. I know you, here's all the homework that I've done. And by the way, I had no idea who you were until we had a fight like last night or or whatever this was, that I very quickly found out who you were. And now I know everything about you. And I'm breaking all this down in front of you just so you know, at least have some better sense, not that the rooftop fight didn't give Kate enough of it, but a better sense of exactly who it is you're dealing with. And the the whole scene was great. And also, look, Florence Pugh is, is brilliant. Haley Steinfeld was right there with her in this scene, and that debate is as rich and interesting to watch as it was because each side is doing such a great job of putting forth their character and their character's position in this and expanding on the idea of their character through this conversation that they're having with each other. This was really outstanding work by both of them, and I love for the direction of the episode, I mean, the writing of the episode, of course, and the direction of the episode with Bert and Bertie just... Putting the close-ups on the character, on the actors, and just letting them go at it. Um, That was it. it Just it played so incredibly well in in this whole scene, and and the actors just they really brought their A game, as they have been like throughout their performances as these characters respectively in their projects. But really delivered big time in this scene. Uh, Intercut with this scene, uh, we cut away from to this and then back to it, but. It's uh, Charlie Brown Christmas time for Clint Barton, who is down on his luck walking through New York. He goes and he ends up crashing with Grills, and the new outfits are there, but Clint really just needs a rest more than anything else. (laughs) I just thought it was everything that Grills was offering at first, first his couch, and then his bed to Clint Barton, and then Clint says the couch will be fine, but I am all for, in these stories about grand heroics and epic superhero sagas and stories and all of that stuff... Sometimes it's just simple acts of kindness that can be just as moving, even from a character like Grills, who's, who's not a main character in the story, but just to see the, the love and respect that he has for Clint Barton that, no, there's no way that Clint Barton is going to go stay in a hotel, that, uh, that uh, Grills offers him the opportunity to crash. And I don't think that's just Grills trying to get clout or anything of saying, you know, an Avenger is crashing in my place, because he's not putting that on social media like he did his first time wearing the Ronin costume. He's just genuinely, he genuinely cares about Clint as a person in that moment, not just as a superhero, uh, even though he does call him Hawkeye, but he cares about the person and wants to take care of him, and I thought that was very, very nice. And what else is very, very nice, Jack Duquesne. Poor Jack Duquesne. We cut to Jack being under arrest. Doesn't matter that he's the CEO of Sloan Limited, because as he says, he's never worked a day in his life. So I'm not here to say Jack Duquesne is the most admirable human being ever. He's clearly spoiled, but he's also kind of sweet, and uh, you know it's true that that he's uh, never worked a day in his life, and that means he's been set up. He's a patsy, and Eleanor was willing to drop the dime on him without a moment's hesitation as soon as Kate had outed him, acting like she needed to do some digging. She didn't need to do any digging because she knew exactly how and why Jack's name came up as the CEO of Sloan Limited, so immediately... Ratted him out to the cops. And Jack isn't even bothered by it. He even says, like, I understood, I understand why you felt like you had to do that, darling. Don't worry, I'll be home in time for the Christmas party. Poor, sweet Jack Duquesne. But it also points out that, yes, Eleanor is totally behind this, and so was Armand, most likely. And so some disagreement over whatever criminal activity they were doing is why Eleanor uh, or someone she hired or works with ended up killing. Uh, Armand, Jack. I I do trust that Jack Duquesne is innocent.
1: Well, yeah, he's innocent, but I even adds more credence that I think that guy is the character Jack Duquesne is completely like he's he's got he's a face or he's faking it in front of her her too. I feel like they're doing it to each other, like they're both faking you know each other's emotions because. The whole time he's like, oh, this is what's that? I'm sorry.
0: No, that's a really good point that, you know, he that's also something he should be mad about. But uh,
1: I don't know. Maybe he maybe Jack really
0: is that naive, though. And and I kind of hope he is. I I really hope Jack is that sweet.
1: I, I, I do hope he is, but I don't think so because he is a swordsman and we've already established yeah. that this guy is deadly with a sword. You know, he hasn't worked a day in his life, quote unquote, but the dude knows how to do a sword. Yeah. The, right. There's more, there's more to this. So, but like you said, I hope it's like, that's like the, the mask of his personality where he, mm-hmm. he comes across as like, Oh, Hey, and cause again, like when he's like going away and just like, Oh, I can't believe it. He's right. Like not even, oh my God. I, I'm sitting there like, Okay. You know, he's got something up his sleeve. Like, there's, there is something. I think so, but I I
0: think it's, I I totally think he has something up his sleeve, but I think it's heroic. I don't think he's, I, at this point, I would be surprised to see that he's part of a competing criminal empire.
1: I agree with that. No, he's got something else going on.
0: Yeah, like, I I totally agree that he's got something else going on because, like, he, he takes being arrested for something he has nothing to do with way too well. Uh, way too well. Yes. Um, so there is that, and and yes, the that he has the skills with the sword and everything else, that there is definitely more going on still with Jack Duquesne, but I hope it's really more in the realm of good, and uh, that he knew something was up with Eleanor and just wanted to get closer to her to investigate what was going on, or whatever the case may be, and it's not even something that Armand knew about, because maybe Jack knew that Look, uh, my uncle is dirty too, and so is she, and they're all part of this criminal thing. And I want to try and undo it from the inside, or, or figure out what's going on from the inside. And that's really the role that Jack Duquesne is playing. I, I do. I guess it's the it's the whole thing of I. I don't really want him to be totally naive and have no idea what's going on. I would like for there to be more to it, but I also want that sweetness of Jack Duquesne, at least some of it, to be genuine. I just want to believe. That he read that stepdad book because he genuinely wanted to try and help Kate as well as he could. Uh, I guess going back to that point for Jack Duquesne, but point being, Tony Dalton, even though he doesn't get as much screen time this week, whatever time he gets, he always makes it count uh, when he mm-hmm. is showing up as Jack Duquesne, and and I liked this. Uh, I really liked this moment. And then we get to uh, a really great emotional scene where one character is speaking to another who isn't there. As Clint Barton is standing in front of a Battle of New York memorial plaque that says, On this site in 2012, during the Battle of New York, the Avengers first assembled. Steve Rogers, Tony Stark, Thor Odinson, Bruce Banner, Natasha Romanoff, Clint Barton. Oh, by the way, this is NYC Historical Cultural Monument 325 for trivia fans out there. And uh, I I need that plaque. I, I definitely need an officially licensed version of that plaque. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go the Etsy route, but that plaque is so cool, and I absolutely love it, and I need a version of that. But uh, Clint speaking to, to Nat and breaking it down in, in the way that Clint obviously would, that she's gone because they were, they were fighting over and trying to get a, a stupid orange rock, as he puts it. But when he's talking about the sacrifice that Natasha made, and how he's played it over in, in their confrontation to see who would be the one to go over the cliff to to die, to secure the soul stone, to save the universe, and how he's played it over in his head so many times, and he just, it, it can't get to the result that he wants, and it doesn't change what the result was, which is that Nat died, and Clint is the one who lived, and then he says, I do my best to earn what you gave me. I just want to say I miss you, and I'm so sorry for what I'm about to do. It's those first two parts of the line. I, I do my best to earn what you gave me, and I just want to say I miss you. I was un- I'm just emotionally I was emotionally unprepared for this mm. past week with Hawkeye and Spider Man No Way Home for moments like this, and Clint still being heartbroken, of course, over losing Nat, and wanting to feel like he has to honor the sacrifice that she made trying to be the person that she saw in him, that she still tried to reach, even after everything that he had been doing for five years as Ronan, wanting to honor that, but also at the same time, feeling like he needs to go back into that worst version of himself in order to resolve that problem. And, And we find out later in the episode... He's not really trying to go full Ronan. He's not trying to kill people or anything like that. But for Clint, what he's talking about is putting that suit on again, because that's what he's about to do. And he never wanted to do that. He never wanted to be that guy or look like that guy again in any way, shape or form. But in order to get through to Maya, she has he has to give her the opportunity to... To confront and see Ronan and know who that really is. But for Clint, it's already a big emotional step just to put that suit on. Because even doing that feels like a betrayal of everything that he's been working on since he stopped being Ronan, and maybe even feels like a little bit of a betrayal of the trust that Nat put in him, which I, I think if she were there, she would totally understand why he was doing what he was doing. But how much he care, how much he misses Nat, and how much he cares about honoring the sacrifice that she made—that saved everyone, but more specifically, saved him—and not just saved his life, but saved his soul. That was incredibly moving.
1: Yeah, that was that was a solid scene. I I, I couldn't say it better than what you just did. I I do think that the, I I like what it led to, as far as. Um, The lead up to for him donning the Ronin's costume again, which again the burden—that's one I'll give uh, Jeremy Renner a a lot of credit on. I think the lead up to him doing this is is, there's again we talked about weight in the last uh, podcast a lot for uh, No Way Home, Sean, but this yeah four and a half hour
0: podcast as it turns out not not any heavier than one hour podcast, so there is that right
1: yeah, yes. but no, I feel like I do think that the season's been um the writing has been doing has been so good, leading up to the moment of him donning this costume again. And and how he so doesn't want to do it, but he has to basically to protect his family It's very, very interesting. I, I did like the, the, the way Jeremy Renner has been playing uh, this episode and him going up to the monument and talking to Nat, basically trying to ask for her permission or just letting her know that, hey, I'm going to be doing this. And, you know, I, I don't t- do it lightly. I don't do this lightly. But, you know, in the end, you know, like you said, she would understand if she knew if, if she was there because he has to protect his family more than anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and then we cut back to Kate, who's waking up from a nap, it would seem, and she looks around her room. She sees all of her trophies, but not just her trophies, the representation of who she is, the activities that she's dedicated herself to in pursuit of being a superhero, and she's also seeing her inspiration, Clint Barton, pictures of him on the wall, and that kind of snaps her back into it. She's getting a sense of herself, what she cares about, what inspires her, and then she wants to get back involved with Clint Barton and reaches out to him and leaves a lot of messages, even saying, do you think I want to leave all these messages like a crazy person? No, this is your fault. So, okay, yeah, it's Clint Barton's fault for not picking up the phone. But I still thought this scene was really, really great because Kate's belief in her hero and everything that she thought she wanted to be in her life, all of that was challenged in this episode. Challenged in part by what happened at the very end of episode four with Clint telling her to go away, but then in the beginning of this episode with her mother taking that opportunity to try and convince her daughter or help her daughter convince herself to not pursue this life of being a superhero anymore, and now Kate is reminding herself and seeing that journey of it. But then she also had the confrontation with Yelena where Yelena is challenging the idea Of whether or not her hero actually is a hero with Clint Barton. And Kate still believes that he is and doesn't want to judge him by his worst mistakes, just as Natasha, Elena's own sister, didn't want to judge Clint by his worst mistakes. So she reaffirms her belief in what she's wanted, what she wants to do, what she's always wanted to do, and also reaffirms her own belief in Clint Barton. She believes in him now as much as ever, but also she's believing in herself. This is who she is. This is who she wants to be and this is what she wants to do and she gets that back and and I like that she doesn't necessarily need a long conversation to get it back she just needs to be on her own for a moment literally in her own space in her own bedroom looking at her entire journey of and what she's been what she's been in pursuit of this entire time and how she's gone about how she's gone about it to get back on track with where she wants to go
1: yeah, this is where I think Kate really is starting to, I think, come into her own a little bit. And I she calls tells uh, Hawkeye it's his fault. Yep. I want to as much as it's your fault. But, you know, we're seeing the fact that she's 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 getting her own. Um, distinct idea of what what she needs to do, and she's doing it. And I think that to me is what I like about this scene is that she's instead of just you know bowing out, we're seeing why she has to go. She 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 feels she needs to help out, and and I just like that just her her admiration and her determination is such a a, a to me a very character a, a, a great character trait that I think that we don't really have a lot of those characters necessarily in the MCU. We have like Captain America is like the king of, of that trait. But, you know, as far as, you know, doing the good thing and, and doing, you know, even though people don't always want her to get involved, she's going to do it because she feels it, no, it's, she knows it's right. I just like the fact that everyone tells her what to do and she's still going to do it because she knows what she needs to do is right. And I like that aspect of the character a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I really like her ability to listen to what Elena is saying, but then also consider her own thoughts on the situation and, and on Clint Barton and on everything, and listen to her mother's feedback on her pursuit of being a superhero and all of these types of things. But Kate gets to make up her own mind about what's best for her and, and what she's going to believe in and, and whom she's going to believe in with Clint Barton. So I, I really like the way that played out in that scene. And then we get a, a really great bit with... Yvonne and Thomas in the trustabro truck, if I could talk, uh, breaking down tracksuit royalty, the greatest people to ever wear tracksuits, the inspiration of the tracksuit mafia. They're talking about Run DMC. They bring up the Royal Tannenbaums was great. Tony Soprano with Tomás doing his best forget about it was awesome. And then Clint puts a message for Maya right through the windshield with an arrow. But It's just a silly scene, but the tracksuits needed something like that. It had been too long since they had a chance to make us laugh, so I'm, I'm glad that they had that little moment. And then Clint calls home. He recaps everything for Laura, the watch, the notes on the family, the Black Widow assassin being hired, and he says, if I don't end this tonight, it's just a matter of time before the big guy gets involved. And Laura talks about how she trusts Clint's judgment and tells him to go with his gut, do what he needs to do, and she says... And know that I'll always understand more than anybody else ever could. Mm. Boom. More than anybody else ever could because Laura Barton's been there. She's been doing what Clint has done. She's, I think she's been in this secret agent shield type of life, even though it's not shield at this moment. And even uh, there's a, another line that she has in there which talks about, we've been so careful, talking about hiding their family and, and hiding this past. And I think the watches we were talking about last week, presumably connected to her and some part of, part of some bigger secret involving all of them. But this definitely played right back into it. I mean, you could say that that is a wife knowing her husband better than anyone, and that's why she can say, no, I'll always understand more than anybody else ever could. Sure, you could limit it to that, and it's just fine, and it's emotionally grounded in the story, and it totally makes sense, but I think it's more than that. I think it is another sign that Laura has a past that she has been a part of with Clint Barton. It plays into how they met and got together in the first place, whether that's MCU Mockingbird or something else, but this felt like another... Another clue that Laura Barton is, is more than what she has seemed throughout most of her tenure in the MCU up until finally this series.
1: Yeah, this to me was putting even more credence to what we were talking about before, like, okay, the watch. Okay, but now she's essentially saying that she's she's seen action. And what does that mean? And I, I hope it's a significant thing for us. It feels like the shows for the most part have been – have when they're doing something like this with these mysteries, if you will, there's usually some kind of um, reasoning behind it. Like it's usually, you know, not just an Easter egg, but it's, it's an Easter egg, but also like, you know, driving plot and you know, introducing different things. I'm curious where she's going to land Cause it, will she be mockingbird? Will she be something else? It is very intriguing to me because it definitely feels they're going that route right now and amidst of all we've gotten this year and all the TV series and movies, it feels like they're, they're sticking to, you know, trying to stick to much of the, of the source material as possible. But this is the one, one of the times I don't know if they'll stick with the source material as far as like sticking with, you know, Clint's many loved ones in the comic books as he's a, he's a womanizer pig. Uh, but Bobby was always the one that got away from him and he knows, always regrets it. So I always will feel that Bobby, uh, Morris is, a uh, is, a uh, you know, hawkeye's true love so if Lin- if Lindsay, or um i call her, they call her Lindsay. what's her well, name again it's
0: laura barton played by linda cartellini sorry
1: she looks like my friend Lindsay. like looks exactly like my friend it's so crazy it's weird um but yeah laura barton it, it would not shock me if she changed her name but it looks more and more like she is going to be some kind of significant uh Hopefully, she'll be a significant character. It may not be Mockingbird. I'm curious mm-hmm. if it's not Mockingbird, if she's going to be some, you know, Jane Doe character. You know, that she playing right. herself, or will it be another character from the from the you know Marvel comics, which I'm very curious about.
0: Well, it would make sense if she changed her name, and even to the point where she would go by that name, and Clint would call her by that name, because if the whole strategy behind it was. They have to get off the grid and this has to be a concealed family and the easiest way to conceal it or one of the necessary steps you would think is we got to make sure this doesn't look like any connection to Clint's life as a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so if Bobby Morse were formerly in S.H.I.E.L.D. and left S.H.I.E.L.D. to be with Clint Barton and have a family and wanted to leave S.H.I.E.L.D not just to be with Clint, because she could be with Clint in S.H.I.E.L.D., but have a family and keep them separate from it and separate from that danger, then you would have to, you would think anyway, just put up a total screen there, and, and you really would have to lock it off from S.H.I.E.L.D., and she can't go by any name that would have been affiliated with her time in S.H.I.E.L.D., and it would, in theory, you would think, at least there's a plot justification for it to say that, yes, she would have needed to completely change her name and her identity and even what her own husband would call her. So that way, if anybody ever did find out that Clint had a family and they got the names of his family, that the name that would not come up was Bobby Morse. So it is totally possible that Laura Barton did have the name Bobby Morse before this whole off the grid stuff. I don't know that that's the way that's going to play out, but it would make sense in the story if that's the route that they go in. But then we cut to where Maya met Ronan. It's time for a reunion at Fat Man Used Cars. Ronan takes out all of Maya's backup so they can have a conversation. But first, fisticuffs ensue. It's a great back and forth battle between Maya and Ronan until Clint finally gets the upper hand and reveals his identity. He unmasks, revealing his identity as Ronan to Maya. And Clint says that he's not going to kill her unless she comes for him or his family again, in which case that will be the last thing she ever does. And it's important to show that for Clint, that he never had any intention of killing her. He put the Ronin suit on one last time, he hopes, to try and get the message across to protect his family, protect himself. And he knows that the main person, as far as he can tell, who's after Ronin and after his family is Maya. So if he can just convince her to stop, then they can move forward and he doesn't have to go back into this territory Of being Ronan again. And this is also part of the confession because he's now revealing his identity and what he did to the daughter of one of his victims. And understandably, Maya is angry with Clint Barton still and saying that he's a monster. And he says, You and I were the same. We're weapons. When you're filled with rage, it makes you blind. It can be used. It can be manipulated. Trust me, I know. And Clint as maya is reading his lips finds out that clint had been tipped off that night by an informant who worked for the big guy as clint says your your boss the big guy wanted your father dead which is very much comic books of kingpin or whoever big guy being the one who had maya's father killed so we're getting back into comic book canon and having it sync up with the MCU in that instance Maya is initially enraged by this and doesn't want to believe it. She attacks Clint, and when it looks like she's about to kill him, Kate fires an arrow. Kate makes the save, and Maya speeds away on a motorcycle. But, uh, and then Kate, as as Clint, I love how Clint is thinking, what's the superhero exit strategy? And for Kate, who's new to this whole superhero thing, it's just going with convenient means of getting away, which is call an Uber and give a fake name for Tabitha, is the way that Kate is going to get them out of there great scene. And I love to see Clint trying to connect with and really reach Maya and talking about the exploitation of their pain. And in both instances, it was the big guy. It was the big guy, of course, with Maya and everything that she's been doing and being part of this criminal enterprise. And for Clint, he was filled with rage and he was just looking for targets and not even paying enough attention to as a a weapon, right, that he had been aimed by the right people in the past, and it just happened to work out that way. Not caring who was aiming him anymore, as Ronan, who can give who can point me in the direction of people who deserve to die? Because my family didn't, and they're gone anyway. So I want to try and balance this in whatever way makes sense in my misguided, rage filled head. Then, if it's people who are hurting others, then I want to go ahead and take them out. And I will use any source of information that can point me in that direction, even if it's other people who are also hurting others who maybe deserve to die, and maybe I'll get them later. But these are all the things that Clint wasn't really paying attention to, because as he said, his rage was clouding his judgment, and it made him easier to manipulate. And that's what happened. In this instance, the big guy took advantage. It doesn't, to make no mistake about it, this doesn't absolve Clint from any of his wrongdoing Clint wanted to kill, and it's not like, as far as we can tell, he acted exclusively on the big guy's orders in every instance. I think it was just in this one, and there were plenty of others that the big guy had played no part in, where Clint still went out and killed people. So there's still a lot more that Clint has to reconcile, but he's made a lot of progress over these past few episodes, and, and this was a great scene to, to show him making even more.
1: Uh, with this whole scene with Maya and and with the whole battle, I love I love this because he shows her one that she's not going to win. Like he's got, he's just too experienced for her and her. And again, like her rage is clouding her and how she's not fighting. Right. And then basically he says, I know I wasn't the one, you know, who, who put the head out on your, your father, your father was, it you know, was already, you know, being, you know, who was he working for? Who, you know, basically clouding, you know, giving yeah. her an idea of what is going on. But, what's interesting is you know he gives her something, something that I think she can relate to is after he reveals himself to her which he didn't have to do one she realizes okay like he's revealing himself to me but two he says like you know I I I, won't, I don't want to do this but if you come near my family I will kill you mm-hmm. like this straight up like if she should respect that because she would do the same thing she's doing the same thing for her father right so she should know one he's given her information he reveals himself you know to, to be you know he's confessing like you said sean but the big thing is i think he tells her you know yeah you come near me i'll you know my family I'll, i will kill you it makes her realize that he could have killed her right there he didn't but right he, you know but he's, he's like listen like i'm you know we're more alike than you realize but you come to my family i'll kill you and she realizes well that's very much like myself like i'm defending my father i'll kill whoever you know kill them whatever but now it, it was a great uh, the way it was written the way it was portrayed I felt that it was a good indication of where Maya is going. And I think that that's where we're going or that's where this character has a way now to look more into what's going on as we see later on and and everything. And and it gives more credence to that, to the fact that she needs to find out more information because the person she thought, you know, was, you know, she needed to kill one could have killed or didn't. And, you know, it has more in common with her than she realizes. Right. So I thought, I thought it was very interesting.
0: And the people that she thought were looking out for her are the ones who've been betraying her all along and betraying her mm-hmm. father all along. And there's a lot for Maya to have to deal with, which is why she reacts the way that she does. She initially reacts violently because it's just overwhelming. The truth that she has been confronted with or the multiple truths that she has been confronted with all in the span of just a couple minutes in this brief convert, this brief but very meaningful conversation that she's having with Clint Barton. But it was a, a terrific scene. and it sets up a, a little follow- up on this between Maya and Kazi, where she suspects that Kazi was the informant. and she doesn't want to totally let on, but he's worried that she suspects that because he, she asks him, "Why weren't you at the meeting that night? And Kazi says he didn't get the call. But that doesn't make sense because he was Maya's father's number two guy and he was in town. So he totally would have been there. What do you mean, didn't get the call? Like it just doesn't add up. And even uh, a great performance by Fra Fee. And then, and also Alakwa Cox, as, as Maya, we, we keep talk, praising performances in this uh, series, and Alakwa Cox is equally deserving of, of that praise because she's been outstanding throughout. But I, I also love this moment for Fra Fee, his reaction. As these questions are coming in and saying one thing, but having his face be the tell of, of another, that really suggests that, sure, Kazi was the informant. And I, I definitely think this will be a confrontation that comes to a head at least uh, part of the way next week with Maya confronting Kazi, but I don't think it gets fully resolved there. I I certainly think that this is something that can continue in the Echo Disney Plus series and there's been that question of will we or won't we get any sort of clown transformation for Kazi and I think we will and I think it will if it doesn't happen next week and maybe next week it, it's too much to do for next week but if it doesn't happen next week although maybe mid or post credit scene but I certainly think at some point, perhaps in the Echo Disney Plus series, that's where we see that more supervillain type transformation for uh, Fra Fee as as Kazi, but I I don't think they're going to button this up for Maya next week. Why would they when you know, Mm -hmm. and they decided a long time ago, long before they announced it when it was originally being reported that Echo was getting her own Disney Plus series, and there's so many other things going on next week presumably in the finale that if you were going to leave one three one thread open then this Kazi Maya confrontation would easily be the choice because you know already you have a spinoff series to address that
1: yeah no I, I'm with you 100% I don't think Kazi's and and uh and Maya are go- going to have a cherry on top ending this week it's going to be pretty much the lead into their to her own series yeah
0: enough to know that they are aiming for each other. That's what gets established next week is they, you know, the mission becomes clear next week or, or so they would think until more truths are revealed inevitably in the echo Disney plus series, because that's the way these things work. But yeah, I I think that's what they'll be continuing to set up next week. And then with Clint and Kate being reunited, Kate says that Yelena is Natasha's sister. doesn't say the name just says that that assassin was Natasha's sister. And Clint does recognize that information as says Yelena. So he didn't know what Yelena looked like necessarily, but Natasha did tell him that she had a sister and told him, presumably, about the events. Uh, I think she told him about the events of the Black Widow movie and everything else with her history with Yelena. So Clint knew that. And that just registers in his head the way, and another great performance moment for Jeremy Renner, the way he just takes in that information and just says, okay. And there's a lot that he's saying with that okay. like He understands what he has to do, that here's another person that he's going to have to connect with and, and reach and explain himself to, because there's a this series is very much about Clint having to account for certain things and explain himself, and it's not his fault that Natasha died. So he doesn't necessarily need to account for that in the same way that his actions are for Ronan, but... Clint has his own guilt, his own survivor's guilt, uh, amongst other feelings that are very complicated in surviving the trip to Vormir and Natasha didn't, and feeling like it should have been him who died. And you know he wants to talk that through with someone. And it might be kind of nice to talk with, talk it through with someone who actually agrees with him, with Yelena. You're right. It should have been you, not Natasha, who went over the cliff on Vormir. But Clint being able to just have an honest conversation with Natasha's sister, with Yelena, I, I'm i guessing next week. I think will go a long way for his growth as a character, but also be very important for Yelena. I think both characters will emerge uh, better and stronger from that conversation that I presume will happen next week. But what we also see is Yelena, speaking of her, has been following Eleanor, and then she texts Kate, telling Kate that it was Eleanor who hired her to kill Clint Barton and sends a picture of who Eleanor is working with. And it is in a full white suit Kingpin as played by Vincent D'Onofrio and the music cue to go into you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, right as they reveal Kingpin in this holiday themed Marvel show chef's kiss wonderful, Mm -hmm. wonderful way to do that. I also love the Kingpin silhouette on the Hawkeye title when they get through the main titles of the credits that looked amazing, uh, and just and there it was. There it is. Uh, we have Kingpin in the MCU. Right after I talked about, I, I cleared this, Spider-Man No Way Home spoiler warning was given at the beginning of the show, and here's, I'm about to mention a, a pretty big one, so if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, thanks for listening. Bye, see you next week. <laughs> we got, in the same week, within just a day of each other, if you talk about Wednesday when this episode drops, and then Thursday night opening night for Spider-Man No Way Home, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin, officially in the MCU. Charlie Cox's Daredevil slash Matt Murdock, officially in the MCU. What does this mean for their the history of these characters on Netflix? That is a conversation for another podcast called Fan Show Plus, that is available at patreoncom slash Gerber and also on Apple Podcasts. If you search MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts, you can find it there. We're going to talk all about that, plus Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness teaser slash whatever that was for the post-credit scene in Spider-Man No Way Home. So, Fan Show Plus plugging aside, back to what happened here. We didn't get to hear from him. It's just a picture, but we know we're going to see and hear from him next week and this is something that we have wanted since Daredevil was canceled after season 3 a couple years ago or i don't even know how long ago that was now a few years Seriously. ago whatever it was I, what is time anymore it doesn't even matter but mm-hmm. kingpin is back and it's a huge reveal and i love i love the reveal itself but it makes me love even more the way they have built this guy up and the legend that they have been building throughout this series of the big guy this is the guy you don't want to be involved this is the guy you don't want him to know your name you don't want him to be alerted to your presence or anything that you have going on because when he steps in it means trouble he gets shit done and that usually means people ending up dead whether that's you and or people you care about you don't want to have any part of this guy and that has been firmly established and well sold In this series, never mind what we know about the character from the Daredevil series on Netflix or what you know about the character from the comic books, but they have sold the legend of this character so well in this series so that when you finally get that reveal, you know you're in for it next week when this guy firmly steps into the story with a physical presence to go along with the legend that everybody's been talking about for the past few weeks, and it was a a great reveal, expected for sure, Doesn't matter that we saw it coming. Doesn't matter that we've been expecting it. Actually seeing it was very, very sweet.
1: This was the most, the worst kept secret amongst other things from like a no way home. But it was so relieving to see it finally happen. And I couldn't be happier because we've, we've talked so much about the Daredevil series being just phenomenal perfectly cast and you know i you got to give a lot of credit to uh marvel studios kevin feige and and all the people in charge because they listened to the fans Mm -hmm. um like us who just loved the series would not shut up about it and they they knew that this was going they had to bring them over i think that's what's really fascinating because like you said sean they had to wait a couple years they couldn't instantly put them in they had to wait and I think this was such a, a, a genius idea. It makes all of us think. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. We'll get in that, obviously, in Show Plus, I assume. Yes, we but, will. but as for the show, I'll, I don't think you could. I honestly think this is a perfect way to introduce the character. The fact you're putting him with an, up against an Avenger right away is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I do think. And here's what I honestly think: you could tell Jeremy Renner is, is or oh my gosh, Clint Barton, he's afraid of him. Like, yeah. he's not just like oh, I gotta take him out. He's like, intimidated he's like, oh. by him for sure. Yeah, like he's not like oh yeah whatever. He's like oh, I was afraid of that. It's Kingpin. Like he knows. Like this guy. So what's interesting? And you, I, I immediately start thinking to myself, okay, like does Kingpin have other super he- villains around him, like protecting him? Like what? There's a history that even Ronan slash Hawkeye is afraid of Kingpin. You know this guy's a real deal. Right. And what does that mean? And what hints will get at that? And we'll get into a little bit of that, in our, I think, the Fan Show Plus. But, but yeah, this is a great reveal. Like you said, Chef's Kiss to Mr. Grinch thing at the end. Um, welcome back, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. Amazing villain. And welcome back, obviously, at Charlie Cox as well.
0: Well, for a while there, Vincent D'Onofrio was a lot of people's pick, and for some people, still is. Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk slash Kingpin was their top MCU villain back before. It became clear that the Netflix series didn't quite feel like the MCU. The discussion of that canon shall be reserved for Fan Show Plus, but because um, yes. yeah, I, I on, although spoiler alert, we don't know until they tell us exactly what it means and, and how sure. certain things for the canon really line up. But I like what you said about just giving credit to Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios, and I like that. It, they just did what was best for the MCU, what was best for the fans, and what was best for their stories, and let's go get these guys, and there's some good fortune that comes into it, right? Because as you said, two years, they couldn't even touch these characters, and so you can even tell, I guess you could tell the actors, well, we do plan to keep you if it works out when the two years are up, and, and maybe you can do that much without getting yourself into trouble, and just for the little backstory on that, it was part of the the contract with Netflix that once the series were canceled, Marvel wouldn't be able to use the characters for two years after that cancellation. So anything could have happened in that time. Vincent D'Onofrio and or Charlie Cox could have get, could have been booked in other movie franchises, or worse than that, would have actually been a full-time television show gig that would have taken up a lot of time on the schedule and left them unavailable. And having a TV show that had the right of first refusal on their schedule that was the first option on their schedule where they wouldn't be made available to Marvel for No Way Home or Hawkeye or any other projects that these characters are are certainly going to be a part of. And so there's some good fortune here. And also for Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige, you can just, it's another example of how what they care most about is what's best for the story. Because this is something where a lesser executive, a lesser creative team would have said we took over Marvel Television a couple years ago, we don't care about anything they did in the past. Our stuff is good, their stuff stinks, and we're throwing all of it away and we're just going to start over with and we could we can easily justify starting over with Kingpin, Daredevil, anybody else who was part of the Marvel TV era and Marvel Netflix era. We're just wiping the slate clean and we're starting over. They could have done that and even could have found ways to justify that type of decision, but they didn't. They realized it's game recognizes game. We already have an incredible actor, an incredible portrayal of each of these characters, Matt Murdock slash Daredevil and Wilson Fisk slash Kingpin. So if those guys are still available when we have the opportunity to bring those characters back in a couple years, we're going to go get them. And we know it's what the fans want. But it's not just about fan service because it still has to make sense. And what makes the most sense is having the best people to come in and play these fantastic characters and have them involved in the MCU proper for the first time ever in a very meaningful way for each of them. And I don't even I think we're only scratching the surface of what that meaningful way is going to be for these characters. But you already know you have great actors in these roles. Just go just go out and get them. And that's what Marvel Studios did with Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock and Daredevil and Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk aka Kingpin that was awesome. And another thing that uh, one last note on this that it made me think about was just the nature of Yelena's relationship with Don't Call Her Val that and you know, she's finding out who hired her but that gives us a it, that gives us a, a little bit of insight into how it works. Like Yelena had to kind of tail Eleanor Bishop as part of this process I I presume of figuring out who hired her, that really Yelena just gets her assignments from Don't Call Her Val. And I I assume, I wouldn't say that Don't Call Her Val is middle management in that respect, but she is the central hub that people contact. You need somebody taken out You want the best, well, Don't Call Her Val has the best, so you contact her, you get word of Don't Call Her Val, she puts out the assignment to one of her people, and they go and they solve your problem. So Yelena probably didn't know who really hired her because Don't Call Her Val is always the face of these jobs. But now she's found out who it is and it uncovers more information. But it also points to Yelena being the good person that she is, whether she wants to be seen as a role model or superhero, it feels like she deserves to be seen that way or not that there is that decency in her to, if she's going to go ahead and and investigate and honor Kate's question, you maybe should consider who exactly is hiring you to kill Clint Barton. That question got through to Yelena and she found the answer. And of course, it was an answer that was far worse than anything that Kate could have imagined. But now she is confronted at the very end of the second to last episode with this truth about her mother. So everything has blown up. Which is exactly what should happen at the end of the at the second to last episode to point us in the direction of a very exciting finale where so many things and so many truths are gonna have to be confronted. Clint Barton continuing to reconcile and and account for his time as Ronan. What's the deal exactly with Laura Barton? This confrontation that has to happen now between Kate and her mother Eleanor, and whatever is revealed about Jack Duquesne and the truth that is right there in between. Maya and Kazi, and then of course Wilson Fisk now in this to figure out what his ro- what role he's really playing in this story, and maybe even get a sense of in the broader sense of the MCU what role he is playing and may play in the near future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and a number of things that would be coming up, including possibly being part of that Echo. Disney Plus series, uh, amongst a number of other projects that Wilson Fisk could factor into. All of that plus, will Clint Barton get home in time for Christmas? The essential question that is driving this series, we shall see next week. Although we don't even have to wait a week to see it. We're putting this spoiler review out a little later than usual, thanks to four-plus hours of Spider-Man No Way Home podcasting. Um, but yeah, it's not that far away that we get to see this finale for mm-hmm. Hawkeye. I am so excited for this, Paul, and, uh, and get hyped for it, everybody, although maybe you've already seen it by the time this podcast is out because it's coming out so late and so close to the finale dropping. But uh, if you haven't seen it yet, take a moment and, and savor it because if you've already seen No Way Home, this is the last new MCU story of the year.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting thing I think because we're gonna probably see a little more of what exactly the kingpin is up to, and basically I think we're gonna get, hopefully get an idea of where y- Elena and Kate Bishop and Jeremy Renner's character where they're all gonna be going like where where are they headed after this is what I'm really intrigued at you know the reveals yes but I want to know the trajectory of where they're headed after this. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm very interested about. So I can't wait to see it.
0: Hoping for two credit scenes next week. Really hoping we get at least two. We'll see. But I I feel like there are so many characters involved in this that we might need a mid and post credit scene to address at least a couple of them and what direction they, they might be headed in if it's not addressed in the main portion of the episode. But... I am so excited about this finale, and it's for all the reasons that we've been talking about, but then going back to what we said at the top, the consistency in this series. And the and it's not just consistently, like, this series is consistently solid. No, it's consistently great week after week. And so with the track record that this series has had thus far through the first five episodes— it has me even more confident and even more excited about what this team is going to deliver in what should be a spectacular emotional finale. And I just can't wait to see it and can't wait to talk about it. But I'll have to because we got to start going over to Fan Show Plus and talking about some other stuff. So make sure you check us out over there. And then all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. Paul, where can they find you?
1: Find me on Twitter at Herman22at2Ns, a.k.a. P-Thug, and also my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Check me out there and subscribe there, please.
0: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.